Today is Super Bowl Sunday, and I am wearing my green for obvious reasons. And I do have my Philadelphia Eagles cufflinks on, my green socks on. Uh, we'll be wearing my jersey tonight for growth group, so uh, I can be official. I can be official. Um, and some of you that are wearing red this morning, I see you. And so it's all good. And I still love you until 6.30 tonight, okay? Uh, and then it'll be different for about three and a half hours. And uh, uh, then I'll pick back that love and pick it back up and love you again, all right? Uh, but uh, we're, we're looking forward to tonight and uh, hope that you're able to be with us for growth groups. Thankful for the weather uh, cooperating with us. About three days ago, it was like, oh, we might not have church. And uh, pastor's going to get accused of canceling church for the Super Bowl. And uh, so... It happened five years ago, and the Eagles were in the Super Bowl then, so I guess it happens. Uh, but anyway, uh, Song of Solomon chapter number 8. Uh, Song of Solomon chapter number 8. Remember, as we bring this kind of thing kind of to a close, uh, last week uh, we see that the marriage has taken place. They've been together, and now she's bursting with excitement and wants to share uh, her experience with everybody around her, but there's a major obstacle. Uh, this feeling that she has inside if she wants to show it publicly, it would be a major violation of what's proper and really uh, culturally correct. How can she share the love that she has with this man publicly without uh, making this really awkward? So we see this morning that she knows who loves her in return. We, he's already made that very clear. Uh, in the first few chapters, talking about how he loved her in spite of what she thought about herself. But uh, how does she do that? And if you're taking notes, you can write down, uh, number one, the vision. Uh, number one, uh, the vision. So as we jump into this passage, we're going to begin in just a moment in verse number one. But uh, let me just ask you a question. How do you view this morning your relationship with God? How do you view your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm not a very religious person. I, I wouldn't call myself a believer or a Christian by any stretch. Well, let me just remind you, according to the Word of God, that all of us, at the end of our life, will stand before someone who's a lot bigger than us, a lot stronger than us, a lot greater than us, and here's the sad part, a lot holier than us. And how you view Him will determine how that encounter goes. So as we talk about the vision, let's pray this morning and then we'll dive right into the text today. Father, we thank you for the day and thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts. Please speak to my heart. Lord, any sin unconfessed in my life, please forgive me. Purify me as I preach your word to your people. Lord, for those of us who are looking at this passage wondering what you're trying to say to us, Lord, help us to see your word in a new way today. And Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, Lord, please draw them today and help them to see their spiritual need this morning. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for those who have come, those who are watching online. Lord, please give us what we stand in need of. In Jesus' name, amen. The vision. How many of you guys remember going back to chapter number one uh, we mentioned last week? How many of you have uh, mentioned that your wife reminds you of a horse? And remember we talked about that, uh, not going to go over really well. Well, this week, her comparison isn't that much better. Look at chapter 8 and verse number 1. First phrase, first phrase, all that thou wert as my brother. That is not a good way, ladies, to get the biggest bouquet of flowers this week. I promise it will not. Uh, I would just wish you were my brother. Uh, that will not go well. I promise, okay? So she kind of gets back uh, at him. But remember, the culture is different. Uh, there are some people today, uh, and there are people in this room, who you have a problem with showing affection in public uh, with your spouse. 
Uh, you have a, you know, that's just, yeah, pastor, we're not, you know, lovey-dovey and public people. And that's totally fine. But imagine a culture where no one shows public affection. No one, not no kissing, no hugging, no holding hands, uh, no happiness. No, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, none of that, none of that. Uh, that is what this culture is like. When Song of Solomon chapter 8 is mentioned, uh, they would show affection in private, but never in public. That was just not the norm. But it was acceptable, on the other hand, to show public affection to your own family. It was acceptable to walk up in public and hug your brother or your sister or your parents. It was acceptable to be close to them, to show that public affection. And she is saying, I would love to show everyone just how much I love you. I would love to show everyone my affection for you, my compassion for you, as you have shared with me. I would love that. I would love for people to know that we're connected, how she would embrace him. She even says later in verse number one, she says, I would kiss you. Wow. All right, starting Valentine's week off great, Pastor. Keep up the good work. Uh, you know, but remember the previous chapter, he was very graphic in his description of her. In this chapter, she's echoing it back. She's saying, What you want is what I want. So when we see that, let's spiritualize that this morning. Your shepherd has indicated a re- desire for, to have a relationship with you. Your personal shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, has said that he desires a close communion, a close walk with you. But do you want what he wants today? Do you want that closeness? Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number five, uh, 25, it says, The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Now, this is her choice, uh, Subpoint: her choice. Uh, this is her decision. This is what she wants. But is that what we want? Uh, do we want that close walk with him? Do we want that close relationship with him? Uh, think about what David said in Psalm 119, verse number 10. He said, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. How do I know what God wants from me? The very next verse in verse number 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How do I know? Because his word tells me so. How do I know what God wants from me? How he desires that closeness? His word tells me that. A.W. Tozer said, God is not silent. It is the nature of God to speak. The second person of the Holy Trinity is called the word. The Bible is the inevitable outcome of God's continuous speech. It is the infallible declaration of his mind. Of his mind. Did you ever play the game telephone when you were a kid? Maybe your friends and you had four or five friends, four or five buddies. And you get together and you whisper something into one of their ears. And it would get trickled down the line. And then you would see how close it was to the original content from what was originally said. That is not the relationship that God desires to have with us. God doesn't desire to say, I'm going to tell this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, this person. And if you're lucky, it'll sound something similar to the original. No, no. God desires a direct line of communication. Not pass down the line. He wants a direct line. But do we want a direct line with Him? Do we want that closeness with Him? And say, Pastor, how do I get that closeness? By spending time in this book. 
by spending time in His Word because this is His direct line of communication with humanity. Everything that He wanted you and I to know about Himself is found in this book. Everything. Oh, Pastor, what about all the other helps and all the uh, different commentaries and all those different things? They have a root, and this is the root. This is how we learn about Him. This is how we show Him how much we desire to know about Him. How we desire to be close to Him. She had a choice. She said, I want to show off my relationship with you. But number two, we see her closeness. Look at verse number three. She's already said, hey, I, I would bring you back home in verse number two. I'd take you to my mother's house. I would uh, follow through. But she says in verse three, his left hand shall be under my head and his right hand shall embrace me. Not only is she saying this is my choice to give you what you want, she's saying that I want the type of relationship that you want. I want a close relationship. I want that close ditch. She'd already daydreamed about this in chapter 2 and verse number 6. And she said, this is the relationship that I'm longing for, that I'm looking for. In verse 6, he, she says, his left hand is under my head. His right hand doth embrace me. She's daydreaming then, but now it's become reality. The, the relationship she wanted then is what has happened now. I'm going to ask my wife to come up for just a second, and she's already thinking, no, 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 uh, because it's Song of Solomon, and you're asking the pastor's wife to come up. No, uh, so she cannot wait for this illustration. Uh, but now you think about what he is saying to her in, in effect. Hi, honey. I love you. Uh, Valentine's Day is this week. It's in the back of my I know. I know. I don't want to ruin it. Uh, so, but what he is saying is he said, I she is saying, excuse me, she's saying, I want him to put his right hand behind me, and I want him to get to turn and face me, all right, because this is going to be fun for me. Uh, so, so, all right, so she's saying, I want him to put his right hand behind me, and I want him to take, yeah, I hear the shutters going off, and he is saying, and he is saying, she's saying, I want his left hand behind, behind my neck. Now, I don't know anybody that has ever gotten this close to my wife other than me. At least nobody that wants that doesn't have a death wish on their life. You know? And why? Because this is our relationship. This is the closest that we have together. <laughs> she is so excited. All right. All right. So this is the relationship that we have together. Uh, this is not an open relationship. This is a close, very personal relationship. And see, with, with my right hand, I can draw her close. But with my right hand, I can also push her away. But that's not his desire. He doesn't want to push us away. He wants to draw us in. And he uses that right hand. In the Old Testament, anytime the right hand is mentioned, it's always a right hand of strength, of power, of authority. And his power and strength and authority want to draw us close, not push us away. He wants us close. But even then, not just he doesn't want us close, he wants to show us compassion. Okay? The left hand is what gets close. The left hand is what brings it and makes it very personal, very relational, very intimate. Not in a graphic way, not in a nasty way or a crude way, but a very close and personal way. You know why? Because we have a personal Savior. We have a personal God. And we have a God who doesn't just want to be close to us. He wants to show us compassion. He wants to know about us. He wants us to know about Him. 
And that is his desire. Thank you, baby. I love you. All right? Yeah, you can give her a hand. She, she got embarrassed for the illustration. So, uh, but that relationship is not open to anybody else. You think about a relationship in a husband and wife, that's not an open thing. That's a closed thing. Our relationship with God is not, well, I want Jesus today, and I want my job tomorrow, and I want this the next day, and I want this, and I'm going to just kind of all bundle them in with Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, the Jesus of the Bible is personal. Personal. And, and by the way, can I just say, he doesn't share his relationship very well. Remember in the Old Testament, he said, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Jealous. Uh, you look at all the times that they uh, tried to bring in other things to compete with him. That never turned out well. He is a jealous God. He wants a close but also closed relationship with us. James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Psalm 63 verse 1. O God, thou art my God. Early, first, priority will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee as flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Do we long to be close to him? Do I have a desire? See, when I'm close to someone, they know some things about me that other people don't. Uh, see, you may know that I'm an Eagles fan today, and I'm looking forward to the game tonight. Uh, but you may know that, but you may not know, uh, know what state I grew up in. Uh, you may know where I work, but you might not know where I live. Uh, see, there are certain details about us that we might not share with other people, whereas with God, He says, open up completely to me. I want to know every detail, and in turn, He says, I'll tell you every detail about me. I want to be close, but do we want? So if we were going to define, excuse me, the level of our closeness with the Lord today, will we be best friend level or will we just be close acquaintance level? Which one? Which one? We see her choice, her closeness. And then number three, we see her companion. Look at verse four. She said, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up nor awake my love until he please. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. She was telling everyone that she was waiting for him. Don't wake him up. Don't wake him up. I'm waiting on him to wake up. And she's telling everybody when he wakes up, I will still be here waiting patiently for him. Did you ask yourself today, are you waiting patiently for him? See, it's really easy in this life to get ahead of him or to let him walk ahead of us and us stand still. But are we waiting on him? Psalm 27 verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Have you ever been waiting for something or maybe an appointment or something or someone? Uh, don't point. Uh, please. But uh, everyone waiting on someone, and you say, man, I've just got to occupy my time. Uh, isn't that how we're taught? Hey, be multitask. Uh, do, do a lot of things uh, in every bit of space. Fill up every single bit of time that you have uh, because you want to be productive. Productive people fill up uh, all of that available time with something to make them productive. But here's the thing. Sometimes God just wants us to stop and wait. And wait silently. And wait patiently. What if the Lord just wants you to see him at work while you wait 
patiently and rest in Him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 9 says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. There is a rest available, but do we want it? Do we want to wait patiently for Him? Uh, this past week we were challenged in our Sunday school class uh, to take a day this past week and have a personal Sabbath. Uh, the Hebrew word Shabbat means to stop, to rest, to worship. And so we, this past Friday, uh, we attempted to do that from Friday evening to Saturday. Uh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. The phones went off, uh, the watch went off, the iPad went off, the technology went off. Uh, even after we were done with that time period, uh, last night uh, we were asking our children to do some tasks at home. And uh, both of them, hey, we're on Sabbath, we're not, we don't do that. Uh, that ended four hours ago. Four hours ago. Uh, we're on Sabbath. Dad, we don't do that. We don't fold clothes on Sabbath. We don't, uh, we don't put our clothes in the, in the dresser drawers. On the, I'm like, come on now. All right, uh, where's the line? Uh, there's a line. Uh, but you think about this girl is resting and she is waiting. She's leaning into the truth that when he wakes up, when he gets up, she will be with him. Remember Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame, uh, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, sitting, sitting down. So when Jesus finished his work on earth, he went back to heaven and he sat down on his throne. The next time he stands up, he's making a trip to get us. Uh, the next time he stands up. But here's the question. Are we leaning into the fact that when he gets up, we're going to be with him? Just like this girl said, when he gets up, He's mine. I get to be with him forever when he gets up. Hey, church, when Jesus gets up, the next time he stands up, he's coming for us. Are you leaning into that promise? Are you leaning into the fact that we don't have to stay here forever? Anybody want to stay here forever? I don't. I don't. I'm looking forward to the fact that this is the worst that it will ever be for a believer. The worst it will ever be. Uh, the The unbeliever says, man, this is the best life that I'm ever going to have. And they don't realize that they're kind of telling the truth. Because for someone who is not saved, who's not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the best life you ever get. Because eternity is going to be a whole other ballgame. But for the Christian today, this is the worst life you have because we have heaven waiting for us. We see that, but are we leaning into it? The vision that she has. But then number two, we see the vows that she makes. In verse number 6, she speaks and she talks about four details of her commitment to her. We would call them, in a typical marriage, vows. The vows that she makes. And these are four vows that all of us, we talk about Song of Solomon being a relational book, that we should make to our spouse. Now look at verse number 6. The first vow is to be committed. To be committed. In their culture, we see a glimpse at verse number 6. It says, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. In their culture, 
very similar to ours. They would wear a seal, a ring, whether it was around uh, one of their fingers or it was around their neck, a seal cylinder that they would wear as a sign that they were connected in a relationship. And we continue that tradition even in our culture uh, during a wedding ceremony. The, the pastor, the preacher will ask, is there a ring? And that is a sign, an outward visible sign that we are connected to someone. We even do that before the wedding ceremony when someone will say, will you marry me? Typically there is a ring involved. And they will ask the question, just hoping, praying, uh, that that other person feels the same way about them that they do about them. I mean, isn't it funny in our culture that gold is one of the only metals that shrinks over time? It's just hard to get off. You know, hard, hard to take off. Uh, hard to get that ring just to slide off. It's just amazing that gold does that. I don't understand why. Uh, but could you imagine telling your spouse, you know, I don't feel like wearing my ring today. You know, I don't feel as connected. I don't feel as committed. I don't feel like I love you like I did then when we were dating. I, I just, I'm not feeling. I'm, re- I'm really rethinking this whole commitment thing. You know, Paul talked about God's commitment to us in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. He said, but God commendeth his love toward us. That's an old word that means he proved. He proved his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you and I were even a blip on the radar, Jesus had already made a decision that he was going to die for mankind. Before you and I were even a thought in an existence, Jesus had already decided before we were here, while we were still sinners, while we were in our sinful state, that he would die for us. Oh, you know, Pastor, you just don't understand. You know, uh, when he or she is more serious about this commitment, then I'll choose to be serious to her. Man, I sure am glad that Jesus didn't look at us that way. He made the commitment long before we ever did. You know what he did? On the first date, he was saying, I love you. Uh, you know, and we're sitting back saying, that, that's creepy. But Jesus is saying, even before the first date, I love you. I love you. And I'm going to prove it. And how did he prove it? He died for us. Uh, you can't, greater love hath no man. Hey, you can't get much more of a commitment level than that. Remember, uh, she said, love is strong as death. But are you committed? Uh, thinking about your personal relationship today, make it personal. Are you committed to your spouse? Are you committed to your family? How about the spiritual vows that you've made? Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. You know what Jesus is saying? If you love me, prove it. Prove it. If you love me, talk is cheap. The commitment should be as strong as death. Why? Because death doesn't let go. Doesn't let go. To be committed. Do you let go? Have you let go of that commitment to your Savior? Hey, if you've let go of that commitment, you're wavering with your spouse, man, grab it. Grab hold of that commitment again, to be committed. Number two, she said, to be intentional. Verse number six, set me as a seal upon thine heart, seal upon thine arm, love as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. And then she talks about the coals. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Do you know that coals are something that have to be nurtured? They have to be uh, kept going. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 Paul says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Ouch. I love me a whole lot. I'm going to feed myself three times today, at least three times today. 
I'm going to make sure that I am the best me before I come to church. And I'm, I'm going to make sure that I got my coffee so I'm awake and I'm alert and I'm not a grump. Uh, I'm not a grouch. I'm going to make sure that my teeth are clean so that I don't knock somebody over when I'm talking to them. Uh, I'm going to make sure all is there. I'm going to be the best me that I can be. I love me. But is that the way that I love my spouse? Wise is their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Are we maintaining our relationship with that fire? Am I maintaining that fire? Am I stoking those coals? Uh, there are three types of love in relationships. and uh, We share these with couples when they're going through premarital counseling. But there are three types of love. And I want to just give them to you. They won't be in your handout. You can jot them down. Uh, there are three types of love. Number one, there's dating love. It's romantic. It's combustible. It doesn't have to be, uh, really, you don't have to do anything to get it, to keep it. Because, man, as long as we get to be together, you know, it's that dating love. It's like fireworks, but then it's gone. Okay? The, the downside to dating love is it doesn't last forever. It's just there. It's emotional. It's quick. It burns out. It's not enduring. There's dating love. Number two, there's disappointing love. Now, this is when, you know, when the wood's wet. When it doesn't seem like the flame is as strong as it used to be. Now, this is when we've got to remember our commitment, our vows, when we go through hardships, when I don't feel it, when I've got unmet expectations, when I just don't know if I really meant the commitment that I made. Uh, I wonder, do they still love me? Disappointing love. And then thirdly, there's deep love. Deep love. That's those hot coals that are under the surface. Uh, maybe the fire has gone out, but it doesn't take much to reignite that flame because those hot coals are there. It's there. Uh, it's hot and steadfast throughout all of those phases. That's the love that endures and can reproduce flames in a short amount of time. Deep love. Uh, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 4? Uh, he said, charity suffereth long and is kind. He's talking about love. Charity, love, suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. It's not jealous. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not prideful. It's not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It's not crude. Love is not crude. And can I just time out here? If you really love your spouse, there are some things that you won't talk about. I didn't get a lot of amens there. Uh, but there's just some things. Don't let the world define what you and I can talk about about our spouse. There's some things that should never come out of your spouse, uh, come, come out of the mouth, your mouth regarding your spouse. There are some things that are not talking points at work. There are some things that are not talking points with your family. Well, you know, I just, I needed counsel, Pastor. Hey, there are certain things called counselors for that. But don't go to your family and plant seeds of doubt in their minds of your spouse because if you get things right with your spouse but you never share that with your family, all of a sudden they hate them. Things are going great now with my spouse and they still hate them forever because you told. See, there are certain things that you should never share about your spouse. Uh, it's not easily provoked. Doesn't seek its own. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. Uh, can I just say right there, lust is not the same thing as love. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things. Hey, it endures. 
Uh, it believes all things. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. Uh, it hopes, hey, this is just a season we're going through, but it's going to get better. Hope with all things. It endures. Hey, I'm bearing those burdens at times, but we can get through this. It endures all things. Are you intentional with your relationship with your spouse? Spiritualize. Are you intentional with the relationship with your Savior? Do you have that deep love with Jesus? Where, hey, this is a rough patch, but Jesus has been faithful. He's been good. And it's going to get better. Hey, it bears all things. This is a burden. It believes all things. Man, he sure is good. It hopes. This is a season. It's just a short period of time. We're going to get through. And it endures all things. He's always faithful. My favorite song, music team knows it. I love the goodness of God. We could sing it every single service. Y'all would get tired of it, I'm sure. I love it. Every single service. I love that song. Why? Because it's a reminder that He loves us. Even in spite of us, He loves us. Are we intentionally making Him a part of our day, reading our Bible, praying, spending time with Him? Uh, not just praying as an afterthought or uh, just something that I do to check off the box. Am I getting tracks and making sure that I'm ready in those moments where the Holy Spirit prompts me and says, Hey, be witness. Hey, do something for somebody. Show someone that they have been loved. Am I doing all those things? Is my commitment, am I committed, am I intentional? Number three, is my love, that vow, have I made a vow to be unshakable? Look at verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. Think about the storms in your relationship. If you've been married any length of time, you've had a few. You've had some storms. How many times have you come out on the other side with a greater appreciation for your spouse? Man, that was tough, but she stood with me. That was tough, but he's still there. You know, I'm still praying for him, but he's still there. You know, how many times have you come through a storm with your Savior, and he stood by you, and you come out on the other side and say, man, God was faithful. He's still there. He's still with me. And he made this promise. I'll never leave you, forsake you. I remember the story of the wise versus the unwise Man in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Great was the fall of it. Now, what was the difference between the wise man who built his house on the rock and his house stood strong and when the winds came and the rains and, and the floods and it stood, but the man on the sand, his house fell and great was the fall of it. It had maximum impact, maximum devastation, maximum word of mouth. Man, look at that. Look what happened. What was the difference? The foundation. Same storms, same trouble. Rains, winds, floods, same thing. The foundation made the difference. What did the foundation do? It made the house unshakable. Unshakable. Uh, it, is your relationship today unshakable? Unshakable. Man, I'm not doubting him or her. I know that they love me. If you got wind of something in your relationship with your spouse, is your automatic thought to, oh, I can't believe that they would do that to me, or they would never do that to me. I have that relationship that that cannot be moved. That's not going to happen. Ultimate trust. John MacArthur said, God's way to a successful marriage focuses on what husbands and wives put into it, 
not on what they can get out of it. What are you putting in your marriage? Can I just say that your relationship with Jesus is the same way? Well, Pastor, I, God just doesn't seem to be moving in my life. And He doesn't seem to be answering prayer. And He doesn't seem to be speaking to me like He was. What are you putting into it? Because you get out of it what you put into it. Now, you may not know the name Benjamin Warfield, if I said that name. But he was a leading American theologian in the late 19th and early 20th century. A teacher of systematic theology for 30 years at Princeton Seminary, there was once upon a time, Princeton was a Christian college. Uh, Princeton Cemetery, uh, Seminary, uh, not cemetery, uh, no, seminary. Uh, Warfield wrote hundreds of columns, uh, book reviews, essays on the inspiration, inerrancy of the scripture that are still circulated today. Uh, Warfield got married when he was 25 years old to his sweetheart, Annie. They went to Germany on their honeymoon, and tragically on their honeymoon, they got caught in a thunderstorm, and Annie, on their honeymoon, was struck by lightning. It changed their entire marriage. It traumatized her mentally, physically, so severely that she was an invalid for the rest of her life. Warfield gently cared for Annie every day for the next 40 years of their marriage. He stayed at Princeton for the rest of their marriage, leaving home for only an hour, no more than two, never left the house further than walking distance, mainly just to lecture at school. He lovingly set aside time every day to read to Annie just to help her calm her nerves. It was said about Warfield by his students, he had two interests in life, his work and Mrs. Warfield. Could that be said about your life? Could that be said about your marriage? That's the kind of love that many floods cannot quench. In verse number 7. Hey, neither can the floods drown it. It's unshakable, unmovable. The last one, the vow. Not only to be committed, not only to be unshakable, not only to be intentional, but to be priceless. Look at verse 7. If any man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. Hey, nothing takes the place of love. Henry Drummond said, love is everything. Love is life. To love abundantly is to live forever. Why do you want to live tomorrow? It's because there is someone who loves you and whom you want to see, to be with, and love back. And here he said this, it is when a man has no one to love him that he commits suicide. It's when a man has no one to love him that he commits suicide. How much would you be willing to give for love? Uh, see, love can't be bought. It can only be given. It can't be purchased. It can only be given, gifted. Remember, we mentioned a moment ago, John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man may, would lay down his life for his friends. We're told as men to love our wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. So what have you and I given up for our marriage? What have we given up for the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Uh, your wife, fellas, is looking for a leader. Will you fill that role? Uh, Jesus is looking for leaders. Are you that person? Are you that 
follower, that committed disciple, are you keeping your vows with your mind, your eyes, your actions, your words, with your thoughts? Are you committed? Not only the vision, not only the vows. Lastly, this morning we see the vineyard. She finishes these last few verses in verse number 11 through 13 or 14, talking about a contrast between Solomon, who's writing, and her shepherd. She gives two very clear points talking about vineyards. Look at verse number 11. She talks about the leasing here. The leasing that's mentioned. Solomon's vineyard so large that it was rented out to migrant farmers to keep. Her vineyard was so small that it only took one person to keep it. But here's the thing. She would have rather had the smaller with her shepherd than be tempted with more than she needed without him. Let me say that again. She would rather have the smaller vineyard with her shepherd than be tempted with more than she needed without him. Verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Everyone for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. Very lucrative piece of property. Verse 12, my vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. Hundreds of people. Very lucrative. But I've got a small vineyard, and it's mine. And that's where my shepherd longs to be. My shepherd wants to be in my vineyard. What did Satan tempt Eve with in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? See, Eve had access to every tree in the garden but one. And Satan caused her to focus on the one. Hey, Pastor, why is that significant? What's the big deal about that? See, Satan tempts us, tries to shift our focus on the things that we don't have in an effort to make us ungrateful for the things that we do have. Satan tempts us to draw our focus from the things that we don't have in an effort to make us ungrateful for the things that we do have. You know, if I had their spouse, man, my marriage would be perfect. If I had their kids, my home life would be easy. If I had their job and their money and that car and that title and that retirement plan and that, 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 why not be thankful for what you do have and not focus on what you don't have? You know, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. Let your conversation, and the New Testament word for conversation is manner of living, way of life. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Don't be looking at everybody else and say, I wish I had that and that and that and that and that. And be content with such things as you have. Now, if we were just to take that little snippet, that'd be enough. But what is the quantifying statement of the verse? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You know what he's saying? If you have me, you don't need anything else. If you have me and my provisions, what I'm giving, you don't need anything else. Stop looking at everything else and say, I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his strong 
hand. Hey, if you have him, what do you really need? If you have him, she said to Solomon, I have him. Why do I want that vineyard? I have my shepherd. I don't need your multi-million dollar piece of property. I have a shepherd, period. Remember, David said in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That doesn't mean desire. He's saying, I don't need anything else. As long as I have a shepherd, I don't need anything else. Uh, Not only the leasing, but lastly this morning we see the loving. Look at verse 13. He speaks one final time in verse 13, and then she speaks. Thou that dwellest in the gardens. Remember, she's a garden girl. Not a golden girl. She's a garden girl, okay? Uh, She's a garden girl. The companions hearken to thy voice, and he says, cause me to hear it. You know what he's saying? Just talk to me. Just talk to me. That is a dangerous statement, guys. Uh, but she, he says, just talk to me because I want to hear your voice. Hey, I, I want to hear you just talk. I, I want to hear you talk. But then he says, she says in verse 14, Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. Hey, if you'll just get to me, I'll tell you everything you want to hear. I'll talk to you and we'll commune together. That's what she is saying. She professes her love to him. He affirms it. They make the commitment that they're going to be together. They make that fresh commitment. Let me ask you, do you need a fresh commitment today? Do you need to be reminded? Remember Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20? He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He promised in Isaiah 41 verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right right hand of my righteousness. Remember that right hand? Draw close. That right hand to bring you in for that closeness. The left hand for the compassion, for the intimacy, that closeness. That is the commitment that he has made with us. But are we to the place where we would commit that relationship to him? You will only have one God in your life. Is it the right one? You will only ever have one God in your life. It's either you or it's Him. There is no other alternative. Because if it's not Him, you're satisfying you. So either on your throne of your heart this morning, you have either placed God Almighty, the one true God, or you're sitting in the place that He deserves. So this morning, have you made that commitment to Him? Do you belong to Him? Do you want or need Him to draw close to you? Because He desires to, but do you want to draw close to Him? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just ask you a question this morning. As No one's looking around, not to embarrass anyone, but let me just simply ask, has there been a time in your life when you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you died today, do you know that you're on your way to heaven? Has that been settled in your heart? Maybe you say, Pastor, I I know that. I know that's been taken care of. I know if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. That's awesome. But in a crowd this size, it's most likely that there's someone, whether in person or watching online, that you can't say that. You don't know that if you died, you'd be on your way to heaven. You don't have that settled in your heart and in your life. Uh, Can I pray for you? I don't want to embarrass you or send someone to talk to you or uh, call you out. But I would simply like to pray for you. 
Uh, Pastor, I'm not sure that if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. I don't have that confidence. I I don't have that assurity. Maybe that's you. Uh, Can I pray for you this morning? Not to embarrass you, but simply to let you know that you have a friend that will pray for you. Uh, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm that I'm saved. I don't know that I'm a believer like you talked about. I don't know that Jesus is my Savior. Uh, I'm, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you simply slip up your hand long enough for me to see it and put it right back down? Pastor, I'm not sure. I, I just have a doubt. Is that you? Is that you? I'm not going to embarrass you for any way, shape, or form, but I would like to pray for you. Pastor, please pray for me. I'm not sure that if I died, I'm on my way to heaven. I just don't know. I, I don't know. I have a doubt. Pray for me. I, I, I haven't raised my hand yet, but I'll raise it right now. Pastor, pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? I don't want to miss you, but I do want to pray for you. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure. I just have a doubt about it. Pray for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I know that Jesus wants to draw close to me, but I don't necessarily, I'm in a place where I'm not, I'm not close to Him. And maybe that's you. And maybe through this passage of Scripture, you would say, Pastor, the Lord showed me that I do need to draw close to Him. You know, if that's, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would ask you and encourage you to talk to him about that, uh, to get that settled in your own life. Have that moment where you talk to him and explain where you are. But then not just as a way of staying where you are, but actually confessing that and asking him to forgive you of that and turning to him, turning to him. Repentance is the Bible word we talk about. Turning from that way of thinking where we have been to a place where you commit afresh and anew to Jesus. Father, please bless our time of invitation. Lord, please use it in a special way. Lord, I ask that you please do a work in our hearts and help us to see, Lord, that we truly do need you. Lord, help us to see that you've made a commitment to us. But Lord, I ask that you please help us to commit our lives to you. Help us to honor the commitment that you made to us by showing you, proving to you that we are right there with you, step by step. Lord, you're leading the way, but we're following your plan. Oh, Lord, I ask that you please do a great work in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for how you love us and how you provide for us. Lord, I ask that you please do a work that only you can do. And if there's someone here today or watching online that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, help them to admit their spiritual need, that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, that they can't make it to heaven on their own. That they would believe that you died for them, took their place, and that you would be their Lord and Savior if they will simply ask you to save them. Lord, please help someone to do business with you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. Our personal workers are in place and coming to that place. If you'd like someone to pray with you, if you need someone to pray for you, uh, Miss Grace is going to lead us in a song. I'm going to be right down front. If you need to take a step, if you need to uh, walk with the Lord in a new way, if you need to recommit your life to Him, would you come and talk to somebody? Would you talk to the Lord about that today? As we prepare for our time of reflection and invitation, we're going to sing this song, I Love You, Lord, Goodness of God, a favorite song. Let's sing this song this morning. Sing it like we need it. And if you need to talk to the Lord, do that right.